Welcome everyone to Dr. John Bedker's Leadership Podcast, the podcast focused on leadership. The episode will begin shortly. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy the podcast. Let me begin by recapping very quickly the last episode. We began to build a case, a case for leaders. The case for leaders was absolutely about doing the right thing. And the right thing in this case is to begin a new civil rights movement. So the last episode made that initial case. It laid the groundwork, the framework, and today we're going to continue. In the next episode, we will continue some more. Let me begin. New book called Complicit. It's written by the Strauss Professor of Business, Max Bazerman. Well, Complicit is a book about the enablers of unethical conduct. They are complicit, Braverman makes the case. He points out that all of us, what he calls ordinaries, that's his term, are often complicit because what we do is say nothing. We do nothing. We do not stand up. We do not rebut. We are complicit. This is a problem. So we begin today by saying, do not be complicit. Be a problem solver. That's what leaders do. They solve problems. Do not be complicit by doing nothing. What do we know? For sure. For certain. And one of those things that we know for sure and for certain is that leaders can make meaningful change. It's one of our challenges each and every time we go to the workplace. Yet, we now have to think about so many more and so many different relationships personally, professionally, socially. We have what Braverman describes as a web of relationships. These relationships are shaped by oftentimes unstated assumptions about a number of things. Here's some of the things that Braverman talks about in his new book. He talks about these relationships, complicit behaviors, as he talks uh, about them, about things like power, trust, authority, and loyalty. Each of these can, and in our very turbulent and troubled world today, does undermine our ability to identify and act It's a role of leadership, don't forget, and act against people whose behaviors are not consistent with the truth. And by saying nothing, by doing nothing, we are, in fact, contributing to the problem. 
It is what is often referred to as tacit approval. Well, it can be awkward, certainly, to stand up and say something to someone, particularly if you're close to them, if they are your friend. I mean, that could affect that friendship, that relationship. It could also, for instance, uh, affect you in your career, in your work. If you say something that is perceived as untoward, inappropriate, or in contradiction to that coworker or that superior. So this becomes a quite complex phenomenon. How to deal with stifling, with rebutting, complicit behavior on our part, and that being advanced by others. Here are some quotes from Braverman's new book, Complicit. If we want to be better people, Braverman says, it's not just about engaging in good acts. It's also avoiding playing an indirect or implicit role by allowing bad acts to happen. But he does make the point that it's not always easy to do that. As I've said repeatedly, the art, the craft, the practice of leadership is simple. Do the right thing. Easy to say oftentimes very hard to do. The same here with complicit behaviors. Braverman goes on, another part of this book, talking about leaders. He says, leaders are responsible not just for their own ethics, but for creating an environment where they foster more ethical behavior by all of the people within their organization, with all the people they come in contact. They need to set the tone. This is what leaders are called to do. They need to set the tone for others to understand that they're expected to do the right thing. But, as I've stated, too many leaders do just the opposite. And in so doing, they further advance this culture where you're just expected to go along, to remain silent, effectively to do little or nothing. So, short excerpt from the new uh, book by Braverman. It leads, I think, to the intro and actually recap of the foundational issue in the last episode. I want to welcome everyone to the Dr. John Bedker Leadership Podcast. I am John Bedker, your host. All right. So there are a number of issues, many issues. I cannot begin to touch on each and every one of them, but I'm going to touch on some that really and truly, I think, resonate with me. And I know data makes clear, factually correct, corroborated, that many, many Americans feel the same. So we take this position that we are leaders. Each and every one of us is a leader, and in that, we must lead. I've referred to this term non-sibi several times in my broadcasts, my podcasts. Non-sibi, not for self, but for others. That's our job. That's what we're called to do, 
is to serve others by doing the very best we can do to not only hear and listen the voices of those we serve, but to provide that vision, that guidance, that direction along the path of truth, of honesty, of accuracy. Well, we have a problem. In the United States, and certainly around the world as well, but I'm going to speak about the United States in particular, because we do have some problems that are particularly ours and particularly noteworthy. We have misinformation, disinformation, and yes, tragically lying about important issues. So what do we do? We expect our leaders, in the case of government, our elected leaders, to do the right thing, to be that voice, to provide that vision, to rely upon the truth and accuracy. And sadly and tragically, they have not. This is not a new phenomenon. It's not just a current contemporaneous phenomenon. It has been ongoing for some time. And so what do we need to do? This is the case for leaders, the leadership case for a new civil rights movement. It's not a small thing. It's a very, very big thing. But we all can, we all should, and I will argue we all must rise to that occasion. So, let me talk about two issues where the leadership certainly has failed, certainly has not been in touch with the truth, and why we as leaders must stand up, must make ourselves aware, and must do something about it, which is to say, be the voice of truth, a voice of truth, and ultimately, we must vote. This is key and critical. We have to have people that represent the people in elected office. And you might say, well, sure. The reality is we've done a pretty poor job of that because we tend to be quiet. We tend to be uninformed. We have a fair amount of apathy. Some people think of that as freedom of choice. But now we have responsibility, each and every one of us as leaders. So let's begin with the first issue, gun culture. The gun culture in America, that is unique. No other place in the world has the type of gun culture that the United States has. The gun violence, the lack of gun safety, certainly the absolute fights that go on to prevent gun legislation across our country. Well, the numbers here are a little bit uneven, certainly changes every single day. But if we said that we had somewhere in excess of 300 million people in the United States, perhaps as many as 330 million people in the United States, including Infant children, young children, children of all ages, adults, and older people. Everybody 
What if I said that we had over 400 million guns? That's in the year 2023. More guns than every single person in our country. More guns than people. That just doesn't seem right to me right up front. These AR-15 style guns, these semi-automatic, high loading magazines. If I told you a fact that greater than 25%, a quarter, greater than a quarter of those 400 million plus guns in the United States are of that weapons of war variety. Well, historically, the United States has supported gun safety. I mean, for a long time. It's only recently, the last few decades, where this gun culture has really taken hold. And unfortunately, we, the leaders, have not spoken up, have not spoken back, and certainly have not spoken out. We continue to elect people who allow the gun violence to continue. They are not. They are not passing legislation to bring this under control. Now, historically, we've been supporters of these things, of gun safety. But again, in the last several decades, we have changed dramatically. Why? How? Gun lobbies and politicians have advanced a lie. Just that simple. Advanced a lie. The NRA, National Rifle Association, social media, manufacturers of these weapons, have all tried to advance this notion that having a gun makes you and your family and your home more safe. They really say that if you don't, you would be less safe. They want to create this condition of fear. And when I said these lobbyists, these politicians, the manufacturers, are trying to advance a lie. We know that it is more unsafe for an individual to have a gun than not. It is more unsafe to have a gun in your home than not. Here's a factoid. 40% of the guns owned by individuals in the United States are left loaded in the home. Holy cow. Talk about not gun safety, particularly with children. And I have to say this because it's the truth. The number one cause of children death in the United States is from guns. Yeah. Leaders must stand up and say no. 
There is a book, another book I'll mention by Thomas Gaber and Fred Gutenberg. This book is called American Carnage. It's talking about the gun culture in the United States, the experience that we've had, the numerous and ongoing events, making the point that arming individuals is not safety. It creates problems. It does not solve them. It creates more problems. The forward to this book, I think, is interesting. It's by the Golden State Warriors basketball coach, Steve Kerr, who writes the forward for American Carnage. Now, those of you that are regular listeners know I've done an entire episode about Steve Kerr and his exemplary leadership. Well, what do we know? This is not to pick sides. It's just tell you the truth. And the truth is that Republicans are bad faith actors. We have to get more aggressive about their bad faith, about their unwillingness to get this gun culture under control. And the way we do that is by voting. And what do you say? Well, gosh, if everybody's for it and nobody wants it, then why, why would you think that we could change this, John? Well, here's the facts. Again, this is what leaders are all about. It's what leaders should do, not political. Only 30% of Americans own guns. Only three out of 10 own guns. 6%, an even smaller number, only 6% own two-thirds of the nation's guns. Wow. What happened? What happened? We have a small percentage of people who have said, I want guns, guns, and more guns. And in the last 20 years, we have grown from a much smaller number to now over 400 million guns. Does that mean if we start to do these things that, that people are anti-gun? And the answer is absolutely no. We are not. But we're anti-gun violence. And that we should be crystal clear about. As I do this podcast today, we're in our 121st day of the year. How many mass shootings do you think in the first 121 days of this year? Well, the answer, 184. Now, a mass shooting means there's four or more people involved. Now, the number of individual shootings and certainly child shootings is significantly higher but mass shootings, 184, and as I'm going to record today, another one's already occurred. So my number's probably low. We cannot, leaders, each and every one of you, we cannot keep in office people that will not make changes. Legislators have the power and the control, that's important, power and control, but they choose not to lead. They choose not to vote to reflect the clear majority. What do I mean by that? 
depending upon the issue, whether it's a background check or red flag law or eliminating these weapons of war, these AR-15 type weapons. These numbers vary from 70 to 80 to almost 90%. I mean, it's huge. You would think of political issues like that would almost automatically get broad bipartisan support. Uh, 60, 70, 80, and pushing 90% on these issues about gun safety. And yet these legislators can't begin to do it. So we all have to lead. Each and every one of us has to do that for them. And we do that by voting them out. If you are not willing and not willing or able to represent the majority of the people that you were elected to represent, then we must vote them out, regardless of party. But let's be clear, it is far and away the Republican Party that is doing it. So if you're caught up in tribalism, if you're saying, I can only vote Republican, you must change as well. Because this issue of gun violence is too important an issue. I want to go on and talk about women's health care. As a man, some would say, I'm not qualified to speak on this. But it's rings of the same components. Healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, each and every one is charged with really two important goals. One, do no harm. And second, save lives. Help people. But what's happened now? Same context, same circumstance. We find just the opposite. That now, in the healthcare arena, particularly regarding women's healthcare decisions and women's rights, we do harm and don't save lives. So again, responsibility in healthcare, do no harm and save lives. What are we doing? We're doing harm and not saving lives. We are a nation supposedly built upon the notion that all are created equal. But sadly, we're failing at that. Particularly in this area of women's health care and women's rights. Particularly the right to make decisions in concert with their health care professionals about their health care. We think that the local government, the state government, the federal government, that some politician somewhere should make those decisions and not them. We have a number of states advancing these anti-abortion, anti-choice, anti-medication decisions that put the healthcare professionals at risk but more importantly, they put the patient, the woman, at risk. 
because she no longer has rights. So today I make these first two cases why it is so important that we do need a leadership case for a new civil rights movement. Should each and every person in this country have rights? Should a woman, in concert with her healthcare professionals, have rights? Yes, yes. What if the state, what if the federal, what if a court says, I don't care what you think. I don't care what your circumstance is. I mean, many of these laws are just, you want to just go, oh my God. Uh, in the case of rape or incest or reducing the time limit, say, to six weeks when women may not even know if she is pregnant, to say, you cannot, you will not. And if you do, you will be criminalized for it. And those that provided care, comfort, transportation, similarly, may be held liable. Folks, we can't have that. We need change. We need to do the right thing. And the right thing for each and every one of us is to get up, to stand up, to speak up, to speak out. We have to vote. We have to vote to make this country, this imperfect union, a more perfect union. And the way that we do that is by standing up for the civil rights of each and every one of us. We should not have children dropping off at school and wondering if they'll be there when we go to pick them up. Has there been another school shooting? We shouldn't have a woman finding out that her pregnancy will not end in a birth. That she, in fact, needs medically to have health care now to save her life. And yet we'll have a politician say, no, we won't allow it, and we won't allow your health care professional to perform a procedure which in a previous time was absolutely appropriate and saved lives. We have to do the right thing. It is not religious. It is not political. It's human and humane. We must do the right thing. All right, everyone. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I look forward to speaking with you soon. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Dr. John Bedker's Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please tell your friends and, of course, please follow our podcast and subscribe. Thank you again for tuning in.